has gathered to cast powerful spells, some of the oldest and most powerful in the history of Magic the Gathering. Lion's Eye Diamond, Bergy, God of Storytelling, Peer into the Abyss, and many others. Battling head-to-head in brutal combat, they all have one thing in common, to uphold their legacy in the search for eternal glory. The Eternal Glory Podcast is brought to you by the minds behind Bashanral on YouTube, Thurban University, and TheEpicStorm.com. Hello, and welcome to episode 48 of the Eternal Glory Podcast, Magecraft, The Gathering. I'm Phil Gallagher, joined as always by Bryant Cook and Brian Koval. How are you all doing tonight? Ready to be a powerful fucking wizard, Phil. Ooh. All right. A powerful mage, perhaps? I'd rather be a crafty mage, given our episode title, but like, you do you. All right. We got there. Full circle. (laughs) Uh... So, Brian, how's life? Uh, it's actually pretty good. Um, I, I said in our last episode I was about to visit some family, so that uh, trip is now a week and a half in the rear view, and it was really good. Um, I didn't realize. I mean, like, I knew, like, every my battery was empty with, the, like, not seeing anyone in a year, and, like, I, I think we all feel that way, but I didn't realize how empty the battery was, and, like... My grandma came down with one of my aunts and uncles, and then, like, one of my other uncles came up from Philly and brought one of my cousins I wasn't expecting, and, like, grandma didn't know I was coming. I didn't know that uncle was coming. The cousin we were all visiting didn't know any of us were coming. It was just, like, a giant surprise fest, and and then we just hung out and barbecued. You know, it was really nice. So that that was pretty great, and I'm just counting down the end of the school year. I'm sure you're in the same place right now. It's it's early May. The Justin Timberlake memes have come and gone, uh, and <laughs> <laughs> if you don't work in education, Justin Timberlake shows up at the end of April because it's gonna be May, and uh, it's now May, and I, I can see the end. My school year doesn't even go into June this year. We're cutting it off at the end of May, so weeks we are in the month where i get to not work for a while yeah my my final exams are next monday and tuesday and like we technically have another week of school beyond that where i have to figure out what i'm actually doing with the kids um but the end is in sight it's uh raising a whole bunch of really weird like education philosophy and ethics question like how much can a kid do and you reasonably pass him without you like feeling like I am doing something that is morally wrong here. There's there's a bunch of interesting things of that nature going around the building right now as we think about, like, what does it mean to have a passing grade in this COVID year? Yeah, I, that is tough. Um, in, in special ed, it's we have a lot of parents arguing for compensatory years, just like my kid was supposed to graduate this year, but this year barely happened, so I want them to stay another full year and just get, like, a super senior year, which, like is a thing that has that I've had a number of students who stayed on an extra year for various reasons. Like if they were in a hospital for eight months or something, but uh, yeah, it, it's weird. Um, our extended school year program is 
extra too. Like normally it's like, you know, 20 days or whatever in the summer and it's like four hour days. Now it's like tiered based on how far the parents and districts pushed for. So there's like the normal 20 days and then there's like a 39 days for six hours, basically like. Wow. Yeah, basically like the day we leave until the day we come back, school just continues for some of our kids who have have pushed for it. And it, it's wild. Uh, I'm glad I don't work in the summer. <laughs> Fuck that. Yeah, I, I work for three weeks over the summer doing my Latin Academy gig and the rest of it I will be doing nothing and i need it so bad i am looking forward to uh recording my my content at a more leisurely clip rather than like all right it's friday morning time to record five videos before i have to be at work on monday <laughs> like because that's my current schedule i don't record during the week i have other stuff going on i have to like acknowledge that my girlfriend exists uh because uh i, I like her and stuff and uh yeah, it, it's uh, I, I work from home on Fridays. Any work I have to actually do on those Fridays directly interferes with my ability to create videos. And then uh, I just have to create and edit and upload five videos uh, between the span of Friday morning and Sunday night every week. So I'm excited to chill out on that. You touched on something there, and that's that work-life play balance. A lot of people don't get that. We are individuals that have lives outside of creating content. Uh, <laughs> I had somebody ask, like, where's your Friday video? And I was just like, okay, I get it. They want to watch my content. That's a good thing. That said, I didn't record last night. I spent the night with my wife enjoying ourselves. Like, I'm not going to upload a video every day. Four a week is enough some weeks. Some weeks I'll upload five. Some weeks I'll upload three. Somewhere in there. Uh, But it's important to also not burn out making videos for everyone. I can tell you that this week was the first time that as of Monday... I had all of my videos uploaded, set, and completely done by Monday morning. Like, every other week, it's been like, oh, it's Wednesday. I stream Wednesday night. Okay, now I need to get the thumbnail made, video process uploaded, monetization stuff done, tags done, all that stuff, like, for either my Thursday or Friday video. And now now I have a buffer of a little bit. Oh, the buffer is so nice. So we're recording this on uh, May the 4th. Happy holidays, by the way. May the 4th be with you. And I am currently completely like uploaded, edited, thumbnails made, everything through the 17th, which is two Mondays from now. And uh, like I, I always build the buffer. The buffer is so nice. Uh, it, it wouldn't function without it. I uh, Once summer hits, I, I plan on making a buffer of at least one week. Uh, I've, I've got my, my queue ready. I have like the donations lined up and everything to do it. But like right now, I, I'm not actually dying. But it's it's stressful between end of uh, end of the year stuff and uh, the five day a week video content production. Yeah, uh, I plan on coming up with some like timeless content, like maybe some more wizard school episodes or some deep analysis or or something that it doesn't matter when I drop it. Like it's not set or meta dependent necessarily. So like it, I, I'm going to the beach uh, for a week this summer, and obviously I'm not going to record any videos there, so I'm going to have to plan for these like emergency days where I can just drop something that I've had in the pocket for a while. So that's tough to do, though. Magic moves fast. There's always new cards coming out. Yeah, I. So I have received a huge influx of donations, which I'm like super happy about. But like I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. I have fifteen things in my donation queue right now, not counting the five videos that I already have recorded. 
Yeah, mine is comparable because uh, donation leagues are a Patreon tier for me. The first of every month, I just get swamped with like a dozen leagues I have to record, uh, plus whatever else is in the queue and whatever gets added to the queue. So, and there's only like twenty creation days in a normal month. So, uh, I, I'm basically already my list will be recording into June already, and it's May fourth. Wild stuff. Yeah, but business is booming. That's good. I'll take it. Yeah, God, people are loving Legacy right now. Like, yes, it's it's great. All right, Brian, what what are things like hey, on your end? Hey, Brian's here. <laughs> Wait, what? Uh, so I mentioned this. Uh, I was actually in Anurag's, uh stream for a little bit over the weekend, and I think that there's this thing going on with Legacy right now, and I think Legacy's fine. Uh, I'm not in love with the current format. That said, my deck isn't as good as it was previously. So, like, take what I say with a grain of salt, but. Uh, right now, there's that mentality that I can play whatever I want and be somewhat viable, even though it might not be true. So you're running into more random stuff in, in leagues and challenges of people just playing like wonky things because they think it's viable. And it's more difficult to beat more randomness because you can't play around everything. Like there's a reasonable amount of stuff that you can play around and think about and stuff like that. But like every once in a while, you're going to get hit by like a trick bind out of like blue white control or something just some random bad example and you're like what why is that in your deck but there's no way that you should have ever have played around it because right now everyone's pet cards are you know playable with air quotes around them so uh like people are allowed to do what they want but your win rates are going to be lower because of it yeah a, a solved meta is always the easiest to to thrive in um like i i know i've mentioned this on previous episodes but like the invitational i won uh, Grixis Death Shadow and Eldrazi Tron were quote the only decks in modern at the time, and I just chose a, a, an off the wall deck that beats both. It didn't didn't beat anything else, but it didn't have to. I just like <laughs> cut through the modern portion. Uh, at, like once I made it to day two and got into that winner's beta game, I just sliced everything else apart. And um, like my my run with miracles at the end of the Deathrite Shaman era, like Grixis Delver beat everything except Red Stompy. And Red Stompy beat Grixis Delver, and Miracles beat them both. That was the whole metagame. That's all you needed to do at the time. And I just, you know, cruised through the final weeks of that format till they banned it and shook it up. So, like, I love a solved metagame, and I know you do too because you're a deck specialist. Like, it, it's easy to build a wishboard when there's only, like, three decks you have to beat. Exactly. So, so I feel you just being out there in the wild right now. But for someone like me, who likes to play, you know, like, ponderous decks with many decisions to make, play a long game be able to answer everything given enough time this is a great format to be in like it's a great format to just be like a blue ponder deck so uh, my life update will be pretty short and then i want to dump jump into my mtg updates uh, because it goes off what you were just saying but uh, if you guys haven't watched invincible already make sure to do that it's on amazon i don't like cartoons like i'm super lame i don't enjoy cartoons i fucking loved invincible it's based on the robert kirkman comic and i was just blown away i was like what there's only eight episodes we watched them in a night and i was like i want more so uh check that out Yeah, i'm two episodes in it it, it is pretty good so far can you give me the 10 second version of what this is i've never heard of this uh Image Comics has a alternate superhero universe where perhaps not everyone is a good person. Um, okay. Sounds great. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, I have, if you've ever seen those like memes that are like uh, the, uh, the like uh, great value version of things where it's like, it's like obviously Shrek, but it's, he's called like snark and it's like swamp monster snark. Like it's that, but the justice league. 
Okay. And then there's like other stuff going on. Yeah, it's good. You'll like it. Trust me. Uh, but back to ponderous things. I've been playing a uh, broken down ponder that helps with Mox Opal. Mishra's Bobble. I've had more fun playing Legacy the last two weeks playing Mishra's Bobble than I have in the last year. I'm not winning a whole lot, but it's certainly better than Rite of Flame, I think. Uh, it's allowing my Mox Opals to be live on turn one, so now I'm slamming more one turn one uh, defense grids and wish claws than I ever have before. Uh, and it's pretty good. Like, I think it's de- better than Rite of Flame. That said, it doesn't solve any of the issues that the deck has at the moment. Like, I'm still pretty weak to stifle um, that sort of thing. So, trying to figure it out one step at a time. Man, I, I love seeing all these crazy things you're doing with Storm. Like, I, I love that you aren't getting stuck in a rut and it's just like, wow, oh, this is what the deck looks like. Yeah. Uh, I like how much you're playing Mishra's Bobble lately. Like you five out that miracles with uh, Mishra's Bobble. You have it in Storm now. Uh, whenever that card was reprinted, was that like Ultimate Masters or Iconic Masters? One of the masters said it was reprinted. I bought like 40 copies of it at like three bucks. So please make it a $10 card again. <laughs> Doing my best. Uh, yeah, you, you also have it in the show notes for later. Like one of the cards we're going to talk about tonight, you also have Mishra's Bobble on the list of, so good. of combos for it. It's so good. Uh, like Phil, <laughs> we'll get there. I uh, hired someone, a coworker, to do a logo animation for the Epics Rooms YouTube channel. Go check that out. It's super sweet. I'm thrilled with how it turned out. And then over, I know that you're both sponsored by Card Hoarder, and I am not, but I am now a Card Hoarder affiliate for theepicstorm.com. You can go there. You can buy the Epic Storm for Magic Online through the website. You can support the content that way. But, like, that's a super fun process. We're working on a card hover for a Card Hoarder. Um, they were just really easy to work with, and they were thrilled to have us. So, like, props to them. Man, I- yeah, uh, like, I... We've we've sung card hoarders praises before, and this is not like because I'm sponsored. It's it's why I'm sponsored. Like they are just so easy to work with and so great. Uh, I I reached out to uh, Mana Traders first because uh, they have like all these sponsored people, and they're always on my Twitter timeline and stuff. And they were just the first ones that came into my head. It took like six weeks to get a response, and the response was like, uh, "Maybe we'll talk to you." And I was like, oh, well. And then Card Hoarder, I was, like, completely sponsored in, like, 48 hours. It was great. Back to the logo thing. Uh, I, I now have my finalized, like, YouTube, like, intro logo thing done. And I'm so excited for it. But, like, I don't get to use it for another week because of, like, the videos being uploaded ahead of time. You can always uh, take it down, reprocess, re-upload it. No, no. Oh, my God. Absolutely not. Who are you that has so much time in your life? So uh, in case nope. in case you're not familiar with this joke, uh, it, it might take something like an hour and a half to go and process a a league after you play it just to staple all of the various videos together. More if like you have just a massively long league. When I upload my challenges, I imagine it's what your leagues are like. Uh, my challenges are like two hours and ten minutes. <laughs> Meanwhile, that's like two rounds for Phil playing Death and Taxes. Oh, God. So, like, sometimes I sit down for a donation deck list and I'm like, nice, this entire thing will be, you know, done in an hour and a half. And then I look at this like, here's my bug Yorian control deck. And I'm like, oh, no, the afternoon is gone. Yeah, on my channel recently, I recorded uh, vintage oops all spells and legacy Grixis control in the same week. And that was both my shortest and longest video I've ever posted in the same week. And I got that like Brian Cook life going. Like when I the Oops League, I was like, "All right, 
on to round two. And I'm like 10 minutes into my recording. <laughs> what the hell? This is great. I recorded an Oops League. That was a donation doc. And before I started, I'm like, I want this video to be 45 minutes. That is my goal. And when I was done processing with the intro and the outro and everything, it was 47. And internally, I was so disappointed. But I was like, 47 minutes is still a pretty short video. But I was like, I wanted to hit that 45. Oh, if you wanted it, you could easily find two minutes of dead air it, over five rounds of Magic Online play. Just you know, clip out those dead silences. They're in there, I promise. Yeah. Probably could have been a 38 minute video, just <laughs> on average with how Moto works. All right, I'll talk about some magic stuff. Uh, so speaking of leagues that went quickly, I played this awesome um, Orzov Phyrexian Dreadnought deck um, that's going to be live next Monday. And it plays like Dark Ritual, Torpor Orb, Hunted Horror, Eater of Days, all that jazz. And like in terms of putting stupid meme levels of power onto the board quickly, I don't think I've ever played anything this impressive. You can make a 12-12 on turn one, or you can make, what, like 19 power on turn three, if you just, like, play a turn two Torpor Orb naturally. It was very dumb. That sounds insane. Uh, I'm going to get all my Stern Proctors altered to be you. (laughs) (laughs) You are the Stern Proctor. So, fun fun little combo with that card. Uh, So, it, it counters the abilities of everything. And not just creatures, so you can use it with City of Traders and keep your City of Traders around. There's a that's pretty there's, cool. a, there's a cute one. Yeah, that rules. Nice. And in terms of memeing on people, Dark Ritual into into Necromentia is hilarious. I did that uh, so, in a video. So in case you're not familiar with this one, uh, you name a card. It's th- it's three mana total. I think it's a black and two colorless, or maybe two black and a colorless. You name a card, and you get to search their hand library and graveyard for it, and exile all the copies. And if they have a card in hand, uh, they get a zombie token or something. Between Necromentia and Surgical Extraction, I literally removed all of the win conditions from one of my opponent's deck. They played on for two or three turns before they realized what had happened when they (laughs) fetched. The card's sort of an issue for me in Pioneer. Uh, that and Unmourned Ego, people named uh, Lotus Field, and uh, my deck doesn't quite work the same. Yeah, I I played against an Uro deck that had like Uro and one other win condition, and I got Uro and I forget, it was like an Uro Painter deck or something. So like I took Grindstone or Painter and I took Uro, and then my opponent was just like, oh no. That is one thing I've noticed over the last uh, few weeks is the number of people playing Uro because they can has gone down. Uh, I feel like people have had their fun with Uro, and now they're realizing that, like, maybe my deck shouldn't be playing it, and, like, you're just seeing less and less of it, at least in leagues. I th- I yeah. think people are trying to get people dead again, um, for the most part. Like, Blue Red Delver in particular is just, like, very, well, mostly aggressive, minus minus a certain card that we're going to talk about for a long time. Well, I think with that, we're seeing the the full power of Sprite Dragon now. Everyone saw Sprite Dragon and was like, this card's fucking busted. And then they'd be like, oh, well, Dreadhorde's legal. Where am I going to find the slots? That's changed. And now Sprite Dragon is just killing people on turn three and four. There have been a couple of times where, like, I'm safe. 
Like, my, my opponent's dead in two turns. I don't have to kill this sprite dragon. And then I go like, oh god, what have I done? Always kill the sprite dragon. Bolt the bird. It has wings, it's a bird. <laughs> Take it out. <laughs> so, Brian, what have you been up to? Uh, I recorded some CEDH for the channel, which is something that people have been asking me to do for a while, uh, which uh, basically... It's uh, the version of the C is for competitive and basically they it's a group of people who have agreed to ignore the normal like let's have fun and cast Haymaker's uh, spirit of EDH and just crank the power level to the maximum that the, the format allows and uh, they, they basically just play 100 card singleton legacy slash vintage against each other and games sometimes end on turn two. And then they're just like, sweet play, and they shuffle up and play again, and nobody gets mad because the power level's wrong. It's kind of refreshing. Uh, and I got uh, a bunch of uh, CEDH content creators, plus one Jarvis U, to play CEDH with me, and uh, we went uh, Eternal Magic Spikes versus CEDH content creators, and it, it was a good video that'll be up uh, the Monday after this uh, le this recording drops. So... It was a pretty fun experience. Was super into it. Uh, I'm a little worried that I'm I was too into it, and I'm probably have another commander paper deck coming my way soon. <laughs> after just like spewing thousands, foiling out my last one over <laughs> the last summer. Uh, so uh, I'm gonna take a deep breath before I start acquiring those cards. Uh, I also played Yorian World Gorger Dragon, which made me so happy. Like Gorger is always just one of those things that. If you don't feel something when you see World Gorger Dragon in a list, you're dead. You're dead inside. I'm sorry. Um, seek therapy because you're done. I have um, uh, some bad no news joy. for you. Uh oh. I was talking with some people and we were like, oh, what's the last card that was unbanned? We were like, was it Land Tax? And then someone's like, no, what, I think Time Sparrow was after that. And I was like, no, I think it's Land Tax. And somebody else just goes, it's World Gorger Dragon in 2016. How can none of you remember that? And we're like, oh, yeah, that card's not playable. Um, well, <laughs> you'll have to watch my league and feast on those words because I did well. Okay. Uh, quite well. Um, and uh, it, I just like it was also just a Yorian deck, and any deck I can put Yorian in makes me extremely happy. So there was just a lot of joy. Marie Kondo would keep that deck around. When I got into Magic, Royal Gorger combo was tier one. It was like one of the three viable type one point five decks. Yeah, ban worthy. Get it out of here. It's too good. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely talked in the video about how funny it is that that card was banned once, but it's only funny now. Uh, like, if you were there at the time, uh, remember when Nick Koss top aided Vintage Champs with Dragon? I don't. That did happen. What? Like, back before he, he. Yeah, before he was the TO for that tournament, when it was held at Gen Con, he uh, top aided one of the last Gen Con ones with, with Dragon. Well, yeah. when Legacy was type 1.5, Bizarre was still legal. And yep. turn one bizarre discarding dragon was just like the best thing you could do. Yep. Next vintage version obviously contained bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. Uh, the bizarre just mills your whole deck for you. Oh, beautiful. Chef's kiss. And my last thing I have coming up, I'm pretty excited about. Um, I I uh, live in Pittsburgh. Uh, I don't live with her, but she also lives in Pittsburgh. Uh, Eliana Rabinowitz is a level three judge uh, and just generally great human being. And she is planning a judge seminar. And 
although I haven't judged an event in quite some time, I'm still technically certified. And she recruited me to give a judge seminar at her uh, judge conference to talk about legacy and like tricky interactions that might come up in like a normal tournament. And this is like going to happen ahead of the legacy pit event because that's the first like actual paper event that will have judges at it in quite some time. And uh, I've been brought in as the uh, both judge slash legacy expert to combine the people's interests. So that's going to be sweet. At every paper event, you will get someone that calls a judge for, I have Urborg in play, but my opponent has a blood moon. Like that should be pretty self-explanatory, but you hear it every event. So there's this Thalia in there and there's this Trinisphere. <laughs> what do I do? Uh, I know that one. Yep. That one's easy. Yeah. There's a Trinisphere and I have Gurmag Angler. What can I do? That's an interesting one. So yeah, uh, I'm I'm really excited. Like all of those sorts of things, I'm just going to put together like a PowerPoint and just shotgun through likely interactions that could occur or like my opponent stifled my Dark Depths trigger. What happens? <laughs> or like my opponent stifled my standstill. I love that one. That oh, happened at God. the Pro Tour I, on coverage. <laughs> all right. I'm stoked for that. That's going to be fun. That's just going to be all the, the dumb things that are rattling around in my brain from playing Legacy for 15 years. So shame right? humility isn't more played? No, no, it's not. Uh, it's not played because it's not good. Like, uh, I, I, I only have opinions on this because it recently came up in one of my video comments. Someone, my most recent Sharkstill video, someone was like, I, I don't have moat and I'm not going to get one. What can I replace it with? And one of the suggestions in the comments was humility. And I was like, that is not even close to the same card. He, like he, you will get beat to death by one once. <laughs> if you play humility, just put a council's judgment in there. If you can't afford a moat. Well, it's pretty, there was a the time, time in legacy 2004 to eight where goblins was by far the best deck and humility was a reasonable way of slowing them down. Uh, that said, the difficult part of that deck is, uh, sorry, Phil, it was the first good Rashad and Port Wasteland deck, and casting that card was next to impossible. It was the first deck that really attacked the mana while being disruptive um, and quick. Oh man, so. let's let's be real. Like Death and Taxes isn't good until Thalia. Like prior prior to that, like it is a deck you can play. It, it it's it's fun, but it becomes competitive around Innistrad. If you're interested in the history of Death and Taxes, Phil and I did a uh, webcast, Deep Analysis. It's on my channel. Uh, we talked, we went all the way back to uh, the, like, what, like 2006, like Time Spiral, like when Sarah Avenger and Mangara were printed. And uh, yeah, back we, we in talked the about day, it. We played Isamaru in our Death and Taxes deck and we liked it. Yeah. <laughs> Aether Vial. We, we don't need that. We have Isamaru, Hound of Gonda. <laughs> Speaking of excellent cards, do we want to talk get into the the conversation for tonight and talk about Witherbloom, Apprentice, and Chain of Smog? Yeah, let's do it. So this the Magecraft mechanic was one of the things that when the set was spoiled, all the legacy players were like, is this good? And it's it was really hard to tell, but now we've had a couple of weeks worth of, of data. And as far as this week's go this week goes, we saw five O's from Doomsday, Tinfins, Nickfit, a Phoenix deck, and this like turbo smog deck with defense grids and wishclaw talismans to find your stuff. And it's also seen play in Dead Guy Ale, bug mid rangey slash control decks, 
uh, an Esper Prowess style deck, in Ant sideboards, in Depths decks. Um, and I know Brian, you've brewed a couple of crazy things as well. Uh, yeah. So the the Nick fit that five owed. I, I didn't see the list. Does it have Professor Onyx or is it the Witherbloom Apprentice? I'm gonna be honest. I I pulled up the Legacy subreddit and I looked at the five O deck lists and I looked at which one had Smog next to their name. So fair enough. All right. Yeah. Just Control F. Don't look at anything else. That that's a reasonable, efficient use of your time. Yeah. Uh, on my channel, I I have a, a Rector fit build that goes off with Liliana. I have one Apprentice in the deck because the deck plays Green Sun Zenith anyway, but uh, Liliana, like big Liliana, was the, the primary win con. And then I have a, a two-card Monty coming up on the channel in the next week or so as well. So, like, it's it's around. Like, you're going to run into Magecraft stuff in most Legacy Leagues that you're playing right now in, in one form or another. And we wanted to start by talking about Witherbloom Apprentice. Um, so who, who wants to kick it off? Uh, I will. Um, that card is just perfectly reasonable and possibly even good just on its face. Uh, like the the thing that has really surprised me is that like when you see like the the Weatherbloom Apprentice chain of smog combo on paper, like during preview season, I was like, oh yeah, I guess that's that's cute. It's a thing you can do. It doesn't seem very good, but Weatherbloom Apprentice has just been insane. Uh, when I play against it, just the incidental damage it deals, uh, in just like some bug tempo-y kind of shell, where it's like they stick that thing and then the next turn they go like brainstorm, preordain, hold up, spell pierce or whatever, like. By the way, Lightning Helix, <laughs> it just built in, and also, and then like when you see that card, it's like, do they even have Chain of Smog? I, now I have to play like they're a freaking Chain of Smog combo deck while I just get like beat down and burnt out by this idiot in play because I'm afraid to react to it because then I could die to Chain of Smog. Like, it's just, it's kind of frustrating, and it, it's like really exciting that Bug has reach now. And by exciting, I mean, like, intellectually, because it, I'm miserable about it. Just being a, a blue-white player in general, normally, like, being at 1 was the same as being at 10 against Bug. It just doesn't matter the way it does against Rug, who can just bolt you. But Bug, uh, it's like, yeah, if, if I can keep creatures out of play, I'm fine at 1 life. No worries. Uh, but now you can just, like, die in a variety of ways. Um, Witherbloom Command, one of the modes on it is also deal 2, gain 2, so... Uh, I played against a pretty fair-looking Witherbloom. Uh, it looked like a uh, pre-release pre-con, but with legacy cards in it. Like, they had the Apprentice and the Command and everything. And they they put me from, like, seven to dead in, in one turn uh, after starting the turn with nothing in play. I was like, oh, damn. Bug has burned now. I'd like to point out that Chain of Smog is a sorcery, so uh, don't be afraid to try to kill the uh, Witherbloom Apprentice. Just throwing that out there. Right. I mean... Assuming it was like a situation where if I like tap out to answer it, they could go with like their four mana, like second one smog me. Like, yeah, like definitely kill Witherbloom Apprentice on your main phase. Like uh, that's been coming up in my leagues where it's like, I have the swords to plowshares. I could wait for them to put chain of smog on the stack and blow them out, get the like two for one or four for one because they have to discard two cards to chain as well. Uh, or I could, you know, just kill this thing now because if like, 
if they do have chain, you want to wait until they cast it. And if they don't have chain, you want to kill it immediately because they're going to get incidental advantage while they dig for chain. It's kind of like pretty interesting tension, but I think the right answer is just kill it. Yeah, this is this is my shit. Like, I love the Splinter Twin effect. Like, I, I love this, like, psychological warfare that you get to play when you're playing combos like this, where, like, the cards are reasonable on their own. And there's also just something you have to fear as well. If I wasn't doing donation decklist stuff right now, I would be playing with Witherbloom Bloom Apprentice decks all day. Well, it almost goes back to the Patrick Sullivan rant about uh, Bane Drifters and how there's no tension. Because like in his actual rant, he talks about how when you play Bane Slayer Angel, there's a tension on if you're allowed to untap and do things. You have the same thing whenever there's a Witherbloom Apprentice in play. It's not just a creature that comes into play and does something. Like you need that to, uh, you want to be able to untap, you want to be able to do your thing, but there's a risk involved and that creates excitement, which makes people more interested in the game rather than just always flame tongue kavus. Yeah. Witherbloom Apprentice is very much not a Bane Drifter. Uh, it, it is a, a Malt Drifter. It, it's just, it's just one half of that. And uh, it, yeah, I, I really exciting gameplay. I'm into it. So let me, so go ahead. Oh, um, so we have the uh, protection before the weaknesses, but I think we should flip that on, in our notes uh, and talk about uh, why the weaknesses are weak and then talk about how to fix it. So uh, uh, let me just talk about like why this combo, why early builds of this combo have failed and why I think the combo looks kind of bad. Um, like I just said, like if you have the Swords to Plowshares or the Lightning Bolt when they go for the Chain of Smog, they end up mine rotting themselves maybe twice and then you kill their thing and like they just spent six cards to lightning helix you uh that's not very good um like it, it's not like show and tell or whatever where like if you put this put chain of smog on the stack with like seven pact of negations in your hand you're like gonna win you lose that game because you just let the four copies resolve they discard their seven pact of negations then you kill the thing as long as you're over four life you still win so you can't protect it via counter spells, and it's totally all in. But there are things you can do to fix that. Yeah. You want to take that, Phil? Um, so first, let me ask you to, like, we all play a lot of magic. How many times have you actually lost to Chain of Smog combo? Like, how many games have you lost to someone doing the thing? I don't think any. Uh, zero. Uh, I won a few with my... Uh, my nick fit league it was like literally day one that the format that the the set was legal on moto and uh, i snuck it in a few times but that deck was built with like grand abolisher and city of solitude and stuff in it to make sure it happened uh but i have not lost to it or or won with it since then yeah i have lost one game to it when i was playing just a donation deck list that had no interaction and I think in my league that I was playing with Chain of Smog, I think I, I did the combo twice in five rounds. So, like, the cool part about these Magecraft cards is that they're reasonable on their own, even when you don't do the combo. I've had a number of people just throw Chain of Smogs at me. Like, no Witherbloom yep. Apprentice in play. One time I was super thrilled because I got to discard Echo. I was like, fuck yeah, thank you. Um, but... Like, people are using it as Hemdatorok as well, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, I, I played it that way in Dead Guy Ale. Yeah, I've, I've, that's actually something that has come up 
more than the combo. Like uh, the number of times where like drawing apprentice without the chain is fine. Drawing chain without apprentice sucks quite a bit. Uh, Like uh, you have to be ahead against a deck that cares about hand size to really want to just fire in a chain of smog on your opponent. And like, I, I, I played a, a Delver match in one of my leagues recently where like they had like a Sprite Dragon with no counters on it. And I was like, I could chain a smog them, but if they send it back and I send it back and we both end up helping, they have Sprite Dragon. <laughs> like I'm still going to lose. And it's just like, I, it, there's there is some interesting tension there but it's way less interesting it's like the bad kind of interesting like the this is awful 80 percent of the time kind of interesting uh but or like i hope they do send it back oh god i hope they don't send it back like i hope that like if they have three cards in their hand i hope that last one is good enough that they don't hit me back like it, it's there is some tension there but that card sucks so brian mentioned that this witherbloom apprentice combo with chain of smog you can't protect it with counter spells. A lot of these decks are built to be bug. And with that, you naturally want to play counter spells because blue offers those. And, you know, they're some of the best things you can be doing in legacy. Stop your opponent from doing degenerate things so you can do yours. Well, there's a natural friction with this combo due to chain of smog, but there's ways around that. Like if you're playing your deck full of counter spells, you can, but you know, there is that friction. So, so the ways around that you can play fluster storm. And when you're playing Flusterstorm, you could take advantage of Snapcaster Mage because you can target that Flusterstorm and then, you know, execute your combo. And that Flusterstorm will always be ready to flash back for your opponent's removal spell. So Snapcaster actually synergizes pretty nicely with counter spells. So there's, you know, that elegant dance. Or you can take the more traditional combo approach and start looking at things like Defense Grid, Veil of Summer. And then if you're on Phil's side of the spectrum, which is playing Degenerate, creatures that ruin my fucking day you can play green sun zenith collector oof leovold you know for that value package but then you get things like xanid swarm a creature near and dear to my heart along with sylvan safekeeper did you all happen to see Jax's list that he tweeted out today i did uh it was really neat yeah so it was playing summoners pact as a way to find witherbloom apprentice along with uh xanid swarm and sylvan safekeeper um and wishclaw talismans and a whole bunch of fast mana um it was a really neat different take on the deck that was playing more into this like defense grid ideology rather than like the the more traditional route that i i think people have been messing around with yeah week one there were a lot of lists like that uh even off the spoilers a lot of the uh the big legacy brains were uh, i think like pvdh and maybe uh marcus Ewald and uh, maybe I'm just saying names of people on Twitter who didn't actually build these decks, but I remember seeing like four or five different extremely fast takes with like four defense grid, four summoners packed, Elvish Spirit Guide, like let's get this done kind of decks. I don't know Jax very well. We've interacted a few times on Discord, but they definitely come from the same school of combo that I do, where you want to just get your opponent dead very fast and efficiently. There's then these uh, like combo players that come from, like I call it the miracle school, where they just happen to be miracles players, and then they try to slow down the, the combo deck, make it more controlling. These are the players that want to play Uro in their Doomsday deck. Where and their I just, predicts and whatnot. Exactly. Where I can't get behind that. I don't think those builds make sense. At least to me, they don't. I don't think they're very effective. Meanwhile, Jax is the person that innovated the personal tutor builds that I think are terrific. Um 
but Jack's is just the same mentality as me. Get your opponent dead, do it efficiently, play the best cards possible for doing that. Yep. The most powerful interaction is reducing your opponent's life total to zero. Fact. All right. So we've talked about some negative things here. Um, but so let's let's spin it and let's talk about like why people might want to be playing with this combo. Uh, we already hit on this splinter twin effect, you know, this like psychological warfare and this fear that you put on uh, your opponent that they could just die at any time. Um, but one of the things that I think um, Bryant in particular noted when we were building show notes is how few cards it takes to just build this combo plan. Yeah, it's very compact. I was given a donation deck that combined Wither Bloom combo into Reanimator, and I just couldn't believe like eight slots. That's all it takes. And it completely changes how your opponent has to play the game, uh, which is very similar. Like the Splinter Twin effect is the perfect name for it because you don't know if you're supposed to respect it or not. Your opponent could have just boarded it out and you have to keep up, you know, this lightning bolt, which is like one of the beautiful things about the package because like in Reanimator, your opponent's lightning bolts are dead. But if you're adding in this Witherbloom package, they might leave them in, but then you're just going to juke them and take out the combo anyway. So now they're stuck leaving in things like Lightning Bolt against you that don't do anything. And there's this fear-based strategy that's just really interesting. So with it being so compact, you're now seeing it in ant cyborgs, like Phil said. You're seeing it in other decks where, you know, maybe it wouldn't be that if it was a 12-card package. But because it's 8, it's good enough. It's really neat, too. If if you play some of the Witherbloom uh, apprentices in the main deck, like even without the Chain of Smog, you can throw a couple of Chain of Smogs in the sideboard for those matchups where it's like, I am a dog here. I need to steal a win. I have, you know, 12 cantrips that I can use to dig towards these combo pieces and just end the game. Well, some of the Antlers aren't even playing Chain of Smog. They're just playing the Witherbloom Apprentice, which oh, is I know. wild. It's sexy. <laughs> Yeah, that's the old Young Pyromancer out of the sideboard. Uh, I remember when Young Pyromancer was printed. Uh, we're going back into ancient times now. Rich Shea was living in Pittsburgh, and we were all sort of on a, a an ant kick, and we were all just brewing ant and learning how to play the deck. Um, and Rich just put Young Peasy in the sideboard, and then uh, he had Young Peasy in the sideboard of the Epic Storm at the time, and like a bunch of vintage decks, like vintage... Uh, dark petition storm like all of these decks dark petition may not have been printed yet but like the vintage storm decks and i was like is young pyromancer just in every combo sideboard now and rich was like yes <laughs> like yes it is until someone figures out something different and like it, it worked for a while until people you know figured it out a lot of decks historically have have tried like you know the man plan of having some creatures in the sideboard um, Tin Fins did it with like Dark Confidants and Monastery Mentors, for example. And I think the cool thing about this is it's it's four creatures, and the impact is huge because of how good incidental life gain is in Legacy. Like sometimes those singular points of drain are the difference between you surviving another attack and not. Well, I think that's the entire uh, point of the previous format, Phil, was how good incidental life gain is. Uh, a lot of people to abuse Sylvan Library, and that hasn't really gone away. We're just seeing less of it. But we could see something pretty cool with Magecraft, Witherbloom Apprentice, and Sylvan Library in the future. Uh, all it takes is one card to be a little bit too pushed for Sylvan Library to come back. 
mean, library didn't really go anywhere. Like the the bug decks still play it, uh, it and. There's nothing stopping Witherbloom Apprentice and Oro from being in the same deck. It's just some sort of like tempo-y mid-range thing with the Cantrip Cartel and some Fluster Storms, and that's a deck. Go nuts. So as far as other things I like about this combo, um, the the Magecraft cards are just good, reasonable cards on their own, and this is usually not true for A plus B combo cards. So like, take something like Show and Tell plus Grizzlebrand. If you have either one of those cards on its own, it does nothing in a show-and-tell deck. You need both in order for them to do something. Whereas Witherbroom Apprentice is, like, totally great on its own. And Chain of Smog, like, yeah, sometimes it's a reasonable magic card. Not always, but sometimes. And that's cool. It's also a relatively low mana investment. You know, this isn't like a three mana show and tell and then a four mana sneak attack or anything like that. You know, these are two two mana cards. This can happen on turn one or two in some turbo cases. Yeah, the uh, painter combo has historically been like the tight little package combo in Legacy. Like that's just one of the the lowest mana investment things split over two cards. You can spread out your mana over a couple turns and... uh, that's a six mana combo, and this is, you know, uh, two thirds of that. So, and like, you hang out painter unless you have red blast. It doesn't really do anything until you have the grindstone. Grindstone doesn't do much until you have the painter. And like, while they technically have more text than like show and tell and grizzle brand, uh, while you're assembling a plus b, like, it, it, it's just crazy that how good Witherbloom Apprentice is as a legacy card. Just forget about Chain of Smog. I'd like to remind uh, our listeners that while Force of Negation does not hit Witherbloom Apprentice, it does hit Chain of Smog. I saw some people on Reddit talking about how the combo is immune to Force of Negation. negation. It's not necessarily true. Uh, It can still hit the chain part, but Witherbloom itself is immune. I just want to throw that out there. Yeah, that just sounds like uh, poorly uh, chosen wording. Uh, like, pretty clearly, there is a spell involved <laughs> in this combo, and it's not an instant. So, uh, yeah. Um, though, cha- if getting your chain of smog, force of negation, uh, I guess you're hellbent by the time they actually fire it off. Like that—that's the problem again. But I was about to say, getting a two for one out of chain of smog, it's just like casting chain of smog, but they can't send it back. But They'd obviously let you empty your hand first. So, Phil, I know that you recorded a video with another Magecraft card. Tell us about the Witch. The Sedgemar Witch is really cool. Um, What does it do? uh, Yeah, I should probably read this card. This is not one that you've probably encountered unless you're playing a decent amount of uh, Legacy or even more in particularly uh, Vintage. Alright, so let's pull up the full text because there's a well, lot going it on. It has a nickname while Phil's looking it up. The Black Monastery Mentor. Brian, as our mentor enthusiast, how do you feel about that nickname? I think it is appropriate. Um, this card does compare it in some good ways. Um, obviously, uh, here. Let me, let me do I, the I, text. I, yeah, yeah, go All ahead. Right. Read it it's out. It's two and a black for a 3-2 human warlock with menace. It's and a warlock? It is a warlock. Wow. Yep. Pop and lock. Um, it has menace and ward pay three life. 
Um, so what ward does is when it becomes the target of a spell or an ability an opponent controls, you counter it unless that pl player pays three life. It also has Magecraft that whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery, you get a 1-1 black and green pest creature token with when this creature dies, you gain one life. Whew. Holy text, Batman. That is, uh, that is a lot for one three mana card. Yeah, there's a lot of words on this card, and they're all good. Yeah, that's what's <laughs> crazy. Yeah, there, it, none of the words are like can't block or like anything. It's just every single word on it is great. Um, the the ward makes it punishing to try to interact with it. And like the... And especially like you back it up with combos because like ward works the way counterbalance does where it's like they cast the spell, ward triggers, they get the option of paying the ward cost and then you have another window to respond. So like... Uh, Swords the Plow shares this. Would you like to pay three life? Yes. Okay, Flusterstorm, your plow. I get three pests, and you just paid three life. I'd like to tell a story here. Um, the, fir the first time I played against this card, I was playing uh, some control deck. And it hit play, and I was like, oh god, I need to answer this. And so I lightning bolted it. I took three from the ward, and then they spell pierced me. And I went, oh god, I need to answer this. So I fired off another removal spell at it, and they dazed it. I have now taken six from triggers from that card. It then attacked me for three. And so in one turn cycle, I took nine damage from this card. Plus the two pests were around too. Yes. So, yeah, so really you, you 11. took 11. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, Menace is not a joke either. Like, uh, creature combat in Legacy, largely, uh, like, uh, some decks don't, it's not really part of the plan at all. Uh, some decks, like, they just try to put one Tarmogoyf into play and go to town, or one Gurmag Angler, one Hooting Mandrels, it, and, like, Menace just dances right past all that stuff. Um, like, if you double block it, uh, you're, you're likely to lose something important. Like, a lot of decks, like, they try to put the Goyf down to hold the ground, uh, while Delver picks away. Like, they have to double block with the Goyf and the Delver lose their Delver to answer which in combat. Like, it menaces is serious business. Um, as far as the comparison to Monastery Mentor, uh, clearly the there there's some some pros and cons here. Um, the exponential damage output of prowess on all of the tokens that Mentor offers, uh, I think, will end a game faster. Uh, though uh, Mentor doesn't gain life uh the pests are incidental life gain uh the pest tokens um sedgemore witch is uh or uh the magecraft ability triggers off instants and sorceries not non-creature spells so uh it going back into vintage like or uh in legacy with like bomberman or like urza echo if you're splashing white you're not getting triggers off your lotus petals lion's eye diamonds moxin that sort of stuff uh so that that's a pretty big uh like scoreboard for mentor however the copy spell uh really changes how you get to play sedgemore witch um andreas peterson posted his uh vintage grixis list he's been working on lately with a bunch of main deck fluster storms which is a card you want to play anyway and uh just four shattering spree in the sideboard so <laughs> just like right like uh, uh we've talked about storm triggers a lot with magecraft uh but like uh, replicate is also another way to go and just like uh the replicate as long as there is one artifact in play to target you just have like pay x red make x one ones 
And in a format like Vintage, where creatures are even uh, more powerful than they are in Legacy, because uh, like there's even less creature interaction, uh, just, you know, I, I think uh, the Power Nine joked like, oh, you have Empty the Warrens in this deck when he saw Andreas's build. And yeah, basically, like it's messed up. Like your, your Grixis control deck can just incidentally empty the Warrens. Uh, just quick math check. How many mentors are you allowed to play in Vintage again? Uh, just the one. And and you're telling me we can play four of these for right now. <laughs> uh, for now. So um, Justin Ganari posted a screenshot. Uh, I am actually level one. Um, he posted a screenshot of Sudden Shock shocking his Sedgemore Witch, which that's technology that was adopted in Vintage right at the end of Mentor's Dominance, right before they restricted it. So like... If we're back on playing a two mana shock just to answer this stupid creature, uh, like I, I don't know, I, I'm not gonna call like, uh, call Crywolf and say like this card needs to be restricted. I haven't played with or against it in Vintage yet, but it is comparable enough to Mentor that I can see a world like maybe a dangerous precedent has been set by restricting Mentor, and now they have to restrict this too. But we'll see where that goes. In my queue, I have Witch Citadel uh parentheses vintage uh i cannot wait to sacrifice some pests to blossom the citadel to keep on you know casting spells assuming that those pests and citadel didn't kill my opponent yeah sacking 10 pests gaining 10 life spending that 10 life to cast more citadel spells oh baby sign me up i want to live when are you recording this because like i need to watch this yeah make sure you you uh, hype it real good when it comes live because I will watch that too. Um, I have a league in my donation queue that I'm recording this weekend. Um, it's uh, a modern deck. the The person wanted to see Aria of Flame, and uh, they had some different ideas, but I, I talked them into something more coherent. And uh, they were like, "Oh, how about Magecraft with Aria of Flame?" And Flusterstorm is a legal modern card that a lot of people forget that. It was the BioVox promo for Modern Horizons. Never printed in a modern legal set, by the way. But uh, it is legal in modern, and I'm excited to go like Grix's Aria of Flame featuring Sedgemore Witch. Uh, That's going to be a fun deck to brew, too. There's a lot of good stuff going on here. When uh, Flusterstorm became modern legal, a lot of people started just like dropping their jaw at the interaction with Baral, Chief of Compliance for the Storm combo deck, because you get to just trigger a bunch of different loots off Baral, much like Magecraft. However, uh, the cards in Modern that tend to beat the Storm deck are not instants and sorceries, so slowly the Storm players started cutting Foster Storm from their board, and now it's sort of a rarity. Yeah, unlike in uh, Legacy, where Flusterstorm is fine, and Vintage, where Flusterstorm is great as main deck cards, Flusterstorm is just pretty bad in Modern, because the games are much more creature and Planeswalker centric. Uh, it, you're just getting into a lower power format and that favors the battlefield but you know who likes the battlefield sedgemore witch yeah to jump ahead a little bit i recorded a modern league uh earlier this week and i ran into some clever luminancers and uh what that is it's a one white for a creature that is a zero two with magecraft plus two plus two it's a uh in my opinion prove uh step links so my opponent was playing this alongside main deck fluster storms and hear me out ground rift a one red sorcery target creature without flying cannot block this turn storm 
They killed me on turn three with Flusterstorm backup. I had removal for their creature, the immunogenic growth, and then played Ground Rift so I couldn't block, killed me on turn three. My draw hit the floor. I couldn't believe I, that they had all of this interaction and I died on turn three. I was like, that is sweet. Um, just really sweet, Doc. Yeah, uh, Alex Bestecki, one of my uh, local friends, I'm actually in his wedding later this month, um, he top-aided a uh, Star City Modern Open with, like, a five-color suicide zoo. Uh, like, in the, the past, like, year or so before <laughs> there were no events for a year. Um, and it's just, like, the mutagenic growth uh, sort of spew spells onto the stack kind of thing. And so that framework already exists, and the, the Lumamancer just jacks it up to 11 by the way lumamancer is a difficult word for me to say i feel like in my head it should be luminancer because like luminate uh like lumen like lumen is a word but lumum is not but obviously like if you splice them together uh phil phil's a latin teacher he's like this is easy well but yeah but you, you, <laughs> yes, you don't uh, want the n and the m next to each other right yeah, so it, if you do lumen mancer that requires you to reset well, the position yeah. of your tongue. Yes. Uh, like, I don't think they should both be there, but my brain wants to say Luminancer and skip the second M, but it's a Lumi-mancer. It is one who mances Lumis. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm just dumb, but my brain wants to say Luminancer every time. For those of you listening, I would like to confirm that Brian is not under the influence. Uh, no, uh, I I have never been drunk in my life. <laughs> that is a true statement. So, Phil, I have not seen this card yet. Can you tell me a little bit about Leonin the Light Scribe? Yeah, um, so I played this one in a Dead Guy Ale list that was token-focused. So it's one and a white for a 2-2 Cat Cleric, and its Magecraft ability is that creatures you control get plus one, plus one until end of turn. Now, that's all of them. Not just this thing. That's all of them. So if you have a bunch of pest tokens or bitter blossom tokens or lingering souls tokens, this gets out of control very quickly in terms of like the amount of damage that you can ramp up. This is like definitely, uh, you know, like a monastery mentor sort of like damage increase. I think there's a conceptual problem with this card, though. Um, cards like this want you to be playing other things that benefit from it and some of those things are not instants and sorceries that cause you to make tokens right so with this card even though its ability even though its ability is good there's this weird tension between you wanting to have creatures that can get bigger and you wanting to have instants and sorceries that can trigger the ability so I had a few turns where this thing just like 0 to 60, my opponent died out of nowhere. And then I had a lot of times where this sat on the battlefield as a 2-2 for six turns and I never triggered the ability. I think it's time to put a Bayou in that deck and splash Sprout Swarm. <laughs> just go off. Oh my god. I'm so excited about that. Um, Too good to make it in uh, Time Spiral Remastered. They they banned that card. Yeah, I, I don't have too much else to say here like the the card is interesting and powerful but i i feel like sort of uh like with clever lumamancer the card ends up feeling a little bit awkward for legacy in a way that sedgemore witch and the apprentice don't 
Well, all these cards have something in common, right? They're all creatures. They require another turn to win outside of Apprentice that can just, you know, get people dead. Yeah, and the Light Scribe and the Lumimancer also require you to, like, connect in combat. And occasionally things like Ensnaring Bridge, for example, stop that from actually happening. Or just a handful of chump blockers on the other side of Battlefield might stop that from happening. And when you execute your combo and you don't win, uh, you, you feel this, like, dead feeling inside where it's like, oh, it wasn't good enough. For a long time in Vintage, I was pretty pro-cutting Time Lock. But with Sedgemore Witch, like, Time Lock just became very good again. That said, if you have Witch and Blossom Citadel, you won't actually need to take another turn because you can just, you know, make 10 pests and then sack 10 pests and drain for 20. But that said, like, I think Time Lock's stock just went up a bunch. Bye, bye, bye. So pests don't drain for one. You just gain one life, right? Oh, I thought they drained. No, you uh, just let me... gain, right? Oh, that's yeah, yeah. not as good as I thought then. Yeah, it's not it's not horrendously broken. It's just good. It was sweet with cabal therapy. Oh yeah, the the classic uh, young Paisy cabal therapy combo. Okay, well I guess you can still gain life for Citadel. I'm a little bummed though cuz I thought it was just like, you know, murder your opponent. Uh, I would have been a lot hotter on that card coming off the spoilers if, if it created drain tokens. Uh, I mean, I still should have been hotter just on stats, but uh, I didn't scour the spoiler nearly enough. Speaking of not scouring the spoiler, I, I opened two uh, collector boosters at my local game shop. I went down to pick up my boxes and they just had collector boosters. And I was like, yeah, let's fire in. And then... Uh, when this Sedgemore Witch started heating up this week, I was like, well, I better order some full art copies of that. And I did. I bought a playset and then realized that from my collector boosters, my two collector boosters, I had both a full art one and a Japanese one already. So now I have six of this card. There's something uh, going on right now, and I don't know the full details. So if you're an expert on this and you're mad that I messed it up, I apologize in advance. But there are two different versions of Japanese foils right now. There's the collector's uh, boosters and then like normal Japanese foils. And the collector boosters Japanese foils, if you open up any of the, uh, what are they called? Like the Mythic Archive? Uh, Mystic Archive. Mystical Mystical Archive Archive cards if they're Japanese foil. The price on them are through the roof. Like people are realizing that they have the collector's ones now and they're posting them to the group. Someone posted a time warp earlier at just under $6,000 and like people are bidding on it. Um, Cuz it's like uh, like people are calling it in air quotes uh alternate fourth mystical archives. Like they're calling it like they're comparing it to the rarity of alternate fourth edition. Um because they're slightly different and the prices on these are just insane. So the ones from the collector booster or from the set booster are the the better ones. The collector boosters, like there's something slightly different about them. Oh well, I have two of those from my two packs. I think I have a shock and an agonizing remorse. Well, they're probably worth a bunch. So I, I, all right, well, time to fire in with my alternate fourth edition cards, I guess. The more you know. That's hot. Yeah, uh, though, the more I know about this, it seems the less I know. Like, I I busted my Japanese uh, set booster box. Uh, I recorded it, but uh, I made some sloppy mistakes because uh, I'm not like a 
box opening channel so like i like rattle the table a few times and like the angle's not great you can like see my leg under the table so i I may or may not actually post this video uh but i sat on that box for like two weeks because i was like what's even in here can i open like a demonic tutor like how does this even work am i like i just had no idea what was in there so every once in a while i'll see someone with a bunch of followers uh like commented on one of my videos and i'll click on their channel box opening tends to be like a pretty common thing that people upload like i've never actually watched one but then like i look i'm like oh they have like 2000 subscribers and then this video has 27 views you know like those box opening videos at least in my experience people do not watch them uh like this is just me like clicking through random youtube channels but it seems like people don't actually like unboxing unless they're like super expensive shoes or something like magic cards it just doesn't seem to be uh there uh so there are some channels like uh booster tutor and uh like bad boy mtg uh where uh, um th- or what they do or alpha investments like literally what they do is crack packs and uh the the professor like Tolarian community college also releases videos like this once in a while where he'll just crack like six random packs from like legends to meriden or whatever and if that's your thing and people come there for it it's cool but if you're a if you're like a strategy page in general people aren't really looking for that out of you I, i've done i think like three of them before and none of them did well i mean it was like the effort was low it was like i'm gonna open this box anyway might as well turn on the camera and like someone will click on it uh but it, it turned out like after my third or my third one i was like maybe the effort is actually higher than i thought it was do you ever have remorse after uploading a video like i had a video that tanked pretty hard (laughs) last week where i was just like you know i could have not have uploaded a video today i'm unhappier than with me uploading this video that's tanking (laughs) uh so in my experience uh when i know a league is just horrendous the challenge becomes can i sell this thing with an insane thumbnail and like video description and think of a funny title and like usually i can yeah i i don't regret uploading the videos but there's a couple of times when i start playing a donation deck list and then i get into the league and i'm like oh god i should have edited this deck list i should not have just played this as they submitted it there i've had a lot of those yeah, uh, there was the one a couple weeks ago where I actually messaged you guys and I was like in crisis because like it, the video has been up for a couple weeks now. It was the uh, Golgari Eldrazi video where I just did not realize at any point in the entire video that uh, Ayavugan and Eldrazi Temple both specify colorless Eldrazi. So Realmwalker doesn't get the bonus. And like I was just I spent like three and a half rounds just tilting off about how Moto was bugged and like. How am I even supposed to do anything when, like, the core interaction of my deck doesn't even work? And, like, blah, blah, blah. Like, uh, I don't normally get that salty during videos, but I was just having a really bad time. And it turns out that it was fine. And, like, uh, I was like, guys, do I even post this? What do I do? What do I do? Can I just scrap, like, two hours of video? We, we, we and... talked him down from the metaphorical cliff. Yeah, I ended up just putting a, a disclaimer at the beginning of, like, hey, PSA. This is how this works. I didn't realize that. Sorry. Enjoy the video. There's been a f- and it turned out being like an extremely highly performing video too. So I'm glad I posted it. There's been a few times in the last few weeks where I've had to reject donation decks, not because they're so bad, but because I refuse to play Karn the Great Creator. Don't submit that shit to my channel. Go talk to Phil. 
Uh, I'm sure he'd love to play your Karn decks. I'm not interested. Uh, I had to tell someone today, unfortunately, no, I will not play their Collector Roof deck on this channel. I have standards, (laughs) and I am not playing those cards. God. You got to embrace the spirit. I I, either stop accepting donation decks or just let it ride. Uh, Yeah, uh, I I will take any Karn deck people want to play. I know Phil will, too. Uh, I enjoy Collector Roof when I'm on the, the side of evil. When you wake up in the morning and choose violence, <laughs> you're a collector roof player. Like I don't mind it, so fire them my way. I I have very few way. things that I won't play. I finally added a third thing to the I won't play this list this week, and that was Jeskai Ascendancy. Oh, that card's sweet. Really, I love that card. I'm not clicking through that ever again. Oh my gosh, <laughs> it was not a particularly well tuned list. Uh, it it had a couple of fundamental problems. And so winning with it was both difficult and time-consuming. Yeah, that's fair. I've played Ascendancy, I think, three times on the channel, all Pioneer. And it all went pretty smooth, because, like, the list was good and the clicking wasn't bad. Uh, Eggs. Modern Eggs. Uh, That was the worst experience I've had in a long time. Um, It was was Gravestorm was the win con, a bitter ordeal. And Moto doesn't track Gravestorm. So I just had to guess, like, have I have I put 60 permanents in the graveyard? And like, yeah, that, that league was absolutely miserable. But again, I sold it with a sixth title and thumbnail and it performed above average. <laughs> People did want to see eggs, but it turned out it just wasn't very good. So I've been playing a lot of the Popper Twiddlestorm deck, which takes a long time to win. Like half the fun of playing the deck is fear of racing the clock. Like you start the round with 25 minutes and you will time out if you're not clicking very fast. There's another deck that is apparently slower that a bunch of those people are trying to get me to play uh, familiars. You win by bouncing oh, yeah. a Kaomancer, getting back snap, creating a bunch of mana. And then eventually you create a, a loop with uh, ghostly flicker where you get you bounce the Archaeomancer and you get compulsive research, then you have to compulsive research your opponent out. They say once you get good at it, once you're really efficient, you can win in 13 minutes. I'm like, well, what are you doing with the other game? Like, you can't... <laughs> yeah, you only got 25. <laughs> like, I'm just not interested in playing a deck that's going to break my mouse. Yeah. Yeah, Azorius Fams is one of those decks that you just, like, can't really play on Magic Online. Uh, I played against... Um, when I was in the Popper Premier League, somebody brought that and we had to institute like a, uh, if the time's getting low, we'll just reset the match and uh, like go into game two with fresh clocks <laughs> policy. Cause we, we did want to showcase Popper and not like the moto interface in the league, but yeah, Popper is a really slow format. By the way, uh, I think we have another card we want to talk about now that we've taken a nice little side tangent. Everyone who skipped our intro get wrecked we did it in anyway <laughs> hey we're we're only at about an hour on... and 10 minutes like we're, we're we're good like we can we can talk about more bs along the way and get distracted at least one more time yeah we've been cruising along well we've already talked about so, one really powerful blue red spell in sprite dragon let's talk about one blue red spell that might be powerful uh i will read what this card does uh this is expressive iteration this is a sorcery for blue red Look at the top three cards of your library. Put one into your hand, one on the bottom of the library, and exile one of them. You may play the exiled card this turn. So Telling time on steroids. Yeah, so this is a sorcery speed telling time 
uh, where one of the cards ends up in exile instead of on top of your deck. Um, so you can think of it as like a a jacked up telling time or a divination you have to put some work into. Or an impulse or with some upside. An impulse with upside. Yeah, there's a lot of ways to think about this. Um, one of the most important things, uh, one of the most important words on this card is the word play. You may play the exiled card this turn. It's not you may cast the exiled card this turn. So you can hit your land drop. Like you, you cast this card, exile your land, and as long as you still have your land drop for the turn, fire it in for free from exile, and you just r- out, develop that card advantage, develop that board position, and you got two cards worth, like most of a preordain out of the deal as well. So that's that's pretty good. I have a question for you. And as the uh, person on this podcast that has to mention this card at least once per episode, this will be my second time this episode. Does this out or does this help offset the cost of the additional force effects? Like, will this make running six force of negation or, you know, six force of all force of negation in your deck? Does it offset that? Is this good enough? Oh, the answer there is, well, maybe. Because this Good this card is really different at different times of the game. So if you play this on turn two, just as a sorcery, you don't really get anything extra out of this in most cases. Because you can't, you know, make a third land drop on turn two. You know, you presumably, you know, probably are not going to hit a free card with this most of the time. At least the way that the decks are currently constructed. And that means on turn two, this card is pretty bad, and you're not actually getting card advantage out of it. Yeah, turn two iteration is like a turn one brainstorm. Uh, Just generally not advisable, but you could do it in a pinch. Um, Something we've said on this podcast a handful of times is that whenever Delver goes and gets a cheap-ish source of card advantage, Delver starts to become scary. And... In some ways, this is a cheapish source of card advantage, but it's a little wonky and a little bit inconsistent, and you never know quite what you're going to get. Um, This is a card that's kind of hard to evaluate. It's also not reoccurring. I'd like to point that out. This is a one-time benefit. Yeah, it, it it is ultimately, like, if you line it up right, it's divination. Uh, it's a two-mana divination. It, it's Knight's Whisper. So, like, those are cards that have seen... Oh, divination is a no, but, like, uh, Knight's Whisper is a card that has still sees vintage play, has seen legacy play in, in, in the olden days, not so much anymore. But uh, it's a blue card that pitches to force. Um, it, it's just, like... It... Like Phil said, it... be. And to sort of circle around to Bryant's question of does this make up the card advantage if to play six forces, like if you're pushing the issue and making them counter and they have to pitch uh, the the iteration before they cast it, then no, obviously, because it's just gone. But if they can uh, parlay like the force pitching like a ponder to get into the mid game, uh, like turn three, turn four, etc., and start chaining these together then then yeah maybe uh, but that just is just like a very different deck than blue red delver historically which has been like a glorified burn deck but now we're sort of creeping into that uh dreadhorde arcanist oko maybe delver's really a mid-range deck with a great clock kind of 
field space. It's it's weird in terms of deck identity because like this card is doing multiple different things. It's serving as a source of card advantage for this control role, but for the more burn side of the deck, this is also a way to just trigger prowess multiple times in a turn. You know, cast the iteration, find a lightning bolt, cast the lightning bolt, swing in for three with Swift Spear. And I think I'm jumping out of order here, but I saw a 5-0 list on Twitter, I think earlier today, where they were playing Soul Scour Mage as another prowess creature to like shove into this shell with the iterations. Yeah, that's just a modern deck. Uh, Storming Entity uh, could be in that list too. The old uh, two mana, three, three flying prowess creature. Uh, like that's a powerful card. Um, it, it, it's less powerful in a format with Pyroblast, but I mean... The, this shell very much exists in modern and uh, and pioneer already. So uh, if we want to push it, add some force of wills and some brainstorms, like the infrastructure is there. It's also not even just a deck; it's like the second best deck in modern. Like, is it Blitz is a very powerful deck. Yep. So, a lot of times in the past, I. Feel like when I've beaten Blue Red Delver, it's because they just kind of ran out of gas. I feel like Blue Red Delver was this deck that like came out of the gates really strong, but once you get them hellbent, like you don't have to worry too much. And now with the way the deck is built, you have Ethereal Forager, that uh, that delve creature that can get your spells back, and Expressive Iteration. And when you have those two things together you actually end up with kind of a robust endgame in a way that this deck usually doesn't have. Well, that's why every time a card advantage uh, thing is printed, that Delver becomes broken, right? Like Ren and Six, Oko, anything that gives Delver a good late game has been an issue. I don't know if we've seen that with Forager. I think that the Delver shell is just so good. Uh, that and like some lists don't even play Forager, but it's possible that iteration could be a fairer bridge yeah so i think that it's important to point out that uh comparing expressive iteration to like oko and dreadhorde arcanist and renin six i don't think we're in the same universe mm -hmm. other than like it's it's a actual card advantage it's one spell that generates two cards um but to put a card like this in your blue red delver deck uh, you're cutting what like uh, spell pierce, pierce chain snare lightning, fluster chain uh, lightning fork bolt yeah so like some of that like peripheral stuff that you know th those like delver sprite dragon spell pierce to protect them your dead draws aren't going to happen anymore because expressive iteration is in that spell pierce slot or like they might just get bricked by like <laughs> like tarmogoyf or get raced by tarmogoyf because they don't have spell snare anymore like uh this comes at a cost and it's a pretty real cost for a deck that's trying to hit as hard as is it delver you're also like a tapping out versus combo and b you probably don't have like those soft counter spells like uh like pierce in your main deck that would be good against combo in the first place so like you're definitely giving up percentage points to have this game won so you would think that phil however uh, i uploaded a video today of playing the legacy challenge I faced a few people running Expressive Iteration. You'd be shocked at the deck building choices. Uh, they have, you know, maximum number of iterations alongside Stifle, Spell Pierce, Spell Snare. Uh, like, these are not cards that play well with Iteration. So I think if you want to be playing Expressive Iteration, you should look at how Delver decks were built during the Treasure Cruise era. 
They were aggressive. They were lean. They were aggressive. But the key word that I would like to uh, say here is proactive. They didn't play spell pierce in the main deck. All they wanted to do was do their thing to the maximum potential. They just wanted to achieve their goal. So you saw things like chain lightning in their deck. They always wanted to just constantly abuse this card advantage engine. That's what you should be doing with this expressive iteration. So those cards that I mentioned, spell pierce, stifle, all that stuff, not in your main deck. And Brian alluded to this in the beginning of the episode, but Mishra's Bobble is a card that I saw that I was like, that actually seems really good. And if you're running a rug build, uh, not necessarily blue-red, but if you're running rug, that pumps your Tarmogoyfs too. So it allows your Goyfs to be more aggressive in the mirrors. So um, it's a free spell you can cast, which turns on your iteration for turn two. Uh, just throwing that out there. But keep in mind, things like Chain Lightning and Fork Bolt become a lot better. Spell Pierce, Spell Snare, Stifle less so. Yeah, I, I had an opponent cast this card against me on turn three, and they just exiled Force of Will, missed their land drop, and passed the turn. So there is like some cost to this. Um, I, I, I'm sure uh, the uh, serious math nerds are, are going to crucify me for trying to break it down. But uh, like an 18 land deck with 60 cards in it, like slightly less than one in three cards is a land. So your iteration will hit land a lot of the time. Like you, you can reasonably expect one of your three cards you see to be a land. But also playing these light land counts, if you fetched twice, uh, that's twice as many lands out of the deck than if every land was basic. So like it starts to get a little weird or like uh, if you hit a wasteland, if your deck even plays wasteland instead of, you know, like the red source to to cast your Swiss spear, like it it can get a little wonky. Uh, so uh, th- there is cost to this. Like I definitely felt like a million dollars when my blue red delver opponent just effectively passed turn three without doing anything so that was great uh, yeah so another cost of playing this uh expressive iteration is that sometimes these blue red delver decks aren't playing wasteland uh which like changes your matchup dynamics a whole lot um blue red delver like sometimes does and sometimes doesn't play wastelands and without that you have fewer angles of attack uh, against like say a merit lodge deck or a big eldrazi post deck or something like that yeah i remember uh pre sprite dragon back when uh, storm chaser mage was the sprite dragon that we had access to if you played that card you didn't get wasteland and that was just like a deck building uh, choice like uh if you saw storm chaser mage you knew you could were safe from wasteland uh, in that metagame at the time but i i don't believe that is how decks are being built now but it may head in that direction if they're just trying to maintain spell velocity with card advantage rather than trying to get over the finish line by pinching you with Wasteland. It's worth noting that uh, if you choose to be the aggressive deck, but then also run things like Stifle, Spell Pierce, and you're trying to be controlling as well, you're going to have mediocre results with one foot in each camp, especially if you're running Expressive Iteration because you're not doing anything well. You're sort of just like okay at both. It's like when you try to combine uh, two different combo decks, but they don't really function that well because you're missing some pieces. It's the same idea. Not all blue cards work well together. So try to synergize those a little bit better. So there's been a lot of discussion on Twitter about this card. Um, And the the Twittersphere Twittersphere seems to think that uh, this deck is the real deal. Uh, we saw two in the top eight of one of the Legacy Challenges this weekend, three more in the top 32. 
we saw three in the top eight of the showcase challenge and another one at 10th. So just like personal opinion, how do you feel about expressive iteration specifically in Blue Red Delver? I'd like to shout out my good friend, Jake Saraceno, who went 10-0 on the Saturday challenge with Blue Red Expressive Iteration Delver. Um, he was my teammate when I won the Booster Open for a team. So great guy, great player. Uh, he seems to think it's the real deal. He was so happy he messaged me. He, I was the first person he told. Um, and I trust his opinion when it comes to Delver. I haven't played it personally, but I could see it being you know pretty good. Yeah, uh, I, I also think that this card is good. Um, I mean, we, we just spent you know, 20 minutes talking about all the reasons for that, but uh, Blue-Red Delver being able to reload is really scary. Um, as somebody who's cast more Supreme Verdicts than the average wizard, uh, I think that like Blue-Red Delver is usually like a race to four mana for me. Like Once I get to four mana, cast my Supreme Verdict, if I'm like over six life, I'm good. That used to be the my heuristic, my comfort zone. Um, like usually, one sword of plowshares would bridge the gap to the verdict, and then then it's smooth sailing from there. But um, ethereal forager was scary already. Blue red delver started to adopt that a little while ago, and just that a card that pushes damage while regaining card advantage was scary. And now they have another card advantage piece that not only uh, complements the forager but forager can pick it back up to refire later if you get into a grindy game so uh i mean the game plan hasn't really changed like you're going to want every removal spell you have and you're going to want to fire them off early and often and that's how you're going to beat blue red delver i i don't think this is a treasure cruise case uh, i don't think this is a dreadhorde arcanist uh, i don't think it's anything like that but i i do think that this card is going to be good yeah, when I first saw this card, I, like I, I thought this was crap and too many hoops to jump through. And then I've been on the wrong side of the battlefield from it a couple of times where like we're both hellbent and then they draw that and that draws them into a whale and the whale gets them back four legitimate spells and including that yeah, one. <laughs> and the game snowballs in two turns into just a completely untenable situation. So I think as long as the metagame is slow enough that it's okay to play a turn two tap out card that doesn't immediately impact the battlefield, um, that this is the real deal. More generally, I think the blue red Delver shell is good right now, you know, with this card or without this card. Um, like, I, I think, you know, getting the opponent dead quickly is, you know, totally good right now. And the amount of pressure this puts up, plus a relatively robust endgame, that's a that's a good formula for a deck that you can, you know, bring to tournaments for the next month or two and probably expect to do well with. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it, it's a good way to enter Legacy 2 or like if you want to you know, start getting reps with blue decks, if, if you're uh, newer to the format or want to learn Delver, want to learn blue. Uh, not to say that like this is like the deck is brainless or anything because you're going to have to make decisions and sequence things correctly. But I think that this deck will lend itself to uh, help you out more than like Rug Delver would, or way more than like Grixis Delver would. Uh, it and also you don't need Underground Seas or uh, Tropical Islands. Like y you can invest in one set of dual lands, like get your Volks, and you can expand your Legacy collection from there. Um, another thing about this deck is with the addition of uh, Iteration and Forager, this. Blue Red Delver used to be 
like a burn deck with some cantrips in it. Now it's very much a blue deck with some aggressive creatures in it. So uh, in the past, you may not have wanted Pyroblast against uh, Blue Red Delver because like it doesn't stop Swiss Spear Goblin Guide, like uh, the things that they're killing you with. Uh, it doesn't counter their burn spells, but now they have these engines. Like you really need to answer Ethereal Forager before it attacks. Uh, clipping an iteration uh, during a key turn uh, before they snowball it could be worth worth doing uh, and sprite dragon is just you know you got to kill that thing before it gets big so i will be bringing in every copy of pyroblast that i have in my 75 against blue red delver moving forward that actually plays into what i wanted to say brian which is i've traditionally not been a big fan of ethereal forger uh like it's just like kind of an expensive card for a 3-3 dies the bolt that said everything in blue red delver nowadays is a must kill eventually something's going to stick and that's sort of the issue is like Delver will stick, Sprite Dragon will stick, or Forger. And one of those is going to win the game. So right now everything's a must kill. And I think that's sort of interesting. Uh, maybe not to be facing down interesting, but from a, a theory perspective, you only have so many removal spells in a lot of these decks. What do you do? Yeah. And also uh, most of their threats uh, fly now. And uh, Swiss Spear is still on the ground. Uh, and if people are playing Soulscar Mage, then uh, like Tarmogoyf uh, has always functioned well as moat against burn decks. And so you're going to have to think about like ways to answer more than one creature at once. Uh, like uh, with these two playable card advantage engines, you're not going to be able to play like the Swords to Plowshares. Uh, you know, a couple turns later, Supreme Verdict, then Swords of the Blasher is the next thing, then you're safe. Uh, that game plan's not going to exist anymore. You're going to need cards like Tarmogoyf that can just blank all the Swift Spears uh, or, you know, something in the sky. Like, I, I don't even know. Uh, shark Typhoon, perhaps? Like, for, make a 4-4 Shark and that'll blank, like, a number of flying attackers. So uh, just, you should be thinking about things like that, uh, I'm always a proponent of Supreme Verdict, of course. Um, may, maybe uh, like uh, Dead of Winter can come back. Um, you're you're going to need two for ones or or three for ones to keep up with their two for ones. So we should play Uro because it gains life and gives you cards. Uh, that's true. Um, Uro is, of course, a solid card against uh, the aggressive Delver deck. However, uh, that takes us back to our conversation from long ago about why I argued that Uro is probably fine in the format when everything else needed to be banned. Because, uh, so you spend turn three gaining three life and cantripping, like nice growth spiral. Uh, a couple turns later, maybe you can escape Uro. Uh, it gets force of willed, you d you're dead. Or even it arrives and you're just dead anyway because they can deal more than six extra damage by that point, like turn five, turn six. Bright Dragon's spooky. So yeah, Sprite Dragon is serious. Uh, I, I'm glad I have my uh, Godzilla set of that card. The day that you were able to buy them from, and I never say this word correctly, so forgive me, but Haruruya, I bought eight Japanese foils at a dollar each, and I felt like a genius because I was like, this card's busted. People wait and see. Yep. Well done. Yeah, definitely. The regular one or the Godzilla Regulars. Version? I always do pack foil. Oh, of course. Yeah boring yeah, i'm lame but our listeners already knew that brian yeah i know i know you, you are definitely the the father of this podcast 
And by that, I mean you, you sit in your lazy boy with your polo shirt and your sweatpants and just tell us our cards are too fancy. So what am I in this metaphor? Your mom. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, you're probably like the house cat. <laughs> uh, I, th- I thought I was going to get like crazy eclectic uncle for sure. Uh, maybe. I, I don't know. Um, I like to think I'm the neighbor who like yells at you for mowing your lawn on Sunday. I have a neighbor that fucking I'm going off tangent here, but every single time I try to record a video, he's out there mowing his lawn. Like how many times a week do you need to mow? It's like three times a week. Yeah. When I first moved into this house, uh, the, the neighbor who has since died RIP, but uh, he was this old man and I was mowing the lawn, like probably every three or four days because it was just growing like crazy. And like, I wanted to stay on top of it because I was like a new homeowner in this nice neighborhood and didn't want to be the raggedy house. And I was out there mowing one day and he just like shuffled across the driveway into my yard. And I, I stopped and I was like, hey, what's up? And he's like, so you're mowing every three days or so, huh? <laughs> I was like, uh, is this a problem? <laughs> like, I didn't know you were keeping track over there. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I have a woodpecker, actually, that seems to have taken up residence at, like, the peak of my, my roof, which is directly above me in the room that I record from. So, like, once in a while, it's just, like, in the background of my recording. I'm like, well, I hope the mic didn't pick that up. But it probably does. So any other stories I, I or more uh, Strixhaven things to talk about? Because I feel like we... We're like way under our normal time, but we've had a solid episode. Yeah, I mean, I'm good. Yeah, like normally we've talked about like school or grilling or something for at least another half an hour. Um, but like most of the other things I've been seeing from Strixhaven are just fitting into the roles that we thought they would. Like I've played with Fracture in a handful of deck lists and like I boarded the card in. But it's never been like, oh my god, Fracture, it's this game-changing thing. Yeah, I mean, it's a fancy disenchant. I, yep. Disenchant's always a role I player. I don't think I've actually killed a Planeswalker with it yet, and I think I've run three leagues with that card. <laughs> yeah, what are you going to do? Um, uh, the uh, Prismari command, I haven't actually seen that in on the stack yet. Um I saw uh, Bryant play against it in his Historic League, but I have not seen it in Legacy yet. Um, I don't know if that means it's it's not good or I just haven't queued into it, but it's not showing up. Um, I haven't seen a whole lot of it either. What's the red-white removal? Is that Rip Terror? Rip Apart. Rip Apart. I have seen that. Anurag Top 8 did the challenge on Sunday with it. He was playing two or maybe even three of it. I think it was two. Yeah, I, I mean, that's definitely a... a a reasonable magic card. Uh, I I'm not convinced it's gonna hold up compared to wear tear over time because uh, like the the two for one potential on wear tear is just serious business. But I mean, rip apart definitely. You can condense like your two abrades and two wear tears into just two slots of two rip aparts, and then you have two extra sideboard slots. So that could be worth it for the for the extra extra options. But uh, I I. I don't know, like sweet card, not an instant. It's deck. worth noting that Martin Medmitten 
Say that three times. Martin Medmitten. Uh, top aided. I'm not going to say it once. The Sunday Challenge as well with Ruby Storm featuring Rip Aparts in the sideboard as well as Silence. So we red white Ruby. Oh my God. Oh, and this is, this is of course, different from the epic Ruby Storm, which uh, you've now claimed for the website. Well, I, that is not me claiming. That is uh, Tony Scaponi. Oh, that, that's Tony Scaponi, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I queued into Tony Scaponi with one of my uh, donation decks. I forgot what it was, but it was just like some deck that had like a kind of a plan and whatever. And uh, I just saw his name and I was like, oh, damn it. <laughs> I think I thought seized him on turn one, took his ruby, and then he cast turn one ruby anyway. Just the moto bug, just drew the card I thought seized, and then I died on turn two. Uh, what are you going to do? Die. Yeah, you got Scaponied. Is that a thing? Yeah, why not? Tony, let's make it a thing. I hope he just yells like you got scaponied every time he beats someone on camera. <laughs> we're definitely <laughs> winding down at this point. Yeah, yeah. We're clearly just like making noise with our mouths trying to eat up the last time. But uh, use these uh, 30 minutes that we didn't take from you this week. Go watch uh, Invincible. Watch an episode. Get yourself hooked. And uh, do yourself a favor. Yeah, I would agree. Adios. See you next time.